Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Having a miserable week? Well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by Jacob Redmond. But we are not alone today. Today we have the get we have a great guest on from the Temptation Island Rewatch podcast, as well as some of the Survivor ranking recap shows. You are on Gabon as well. Please welcome in Maggie Morgan. Maggie, how are you doing this fine morning? Hi, guys. I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Nice. You got any haikus fired already <laughs> lined up? Um, I'm so pumped up for the recap of the century. <laughs> it is awesome. Is there that it? Go. Is that yeah, good? I feel I, like I, you're supposed to do so. line, like you're supposed to encapsulate your words within each line. Like, I don't think that it can just flow for like a, a full, you know, like 17 syllables, but uh, I, I played around with it a little bit. Here. Nice. nice. <laughs> no, that was dope. Yeah. Cause we got a lot of questions saying like, Oh, do you guys have any haikus ready? And unfortunately I, did not, <laughs> I had a busy weekend. If I'm being honest, I did not come prepared with haikus. Maybe I'll if I had known. Around. Yeah. If I had known, I would have written out a couple. Yeah, yeah, we we got asked to do so many haikus. Like that was like half of people were just <laughs> like, know. "Hey, can can you write haikus?" And I'm like, "They're really hard." I sat here this morning, and I came up with one. Uh, it was it was the intro of the show. So, hey, good morning, Zach. I'm glad to be here with you. Haikus are quite hard. I, I think that works. But yeah, that's, that's, that's about all I got. I'm always like counting the syllables because I'm like Sokka. I know I'll eventually get like one with like six syllables in the last one or like <laughs> yeah. have I it mean, up somehow. I mean, obviously, this is an audio only podcast, but if you had been able to watch me, everybody, I was literally counting with my fingers. So <laughs> <laughs> that was where I was at. <laughs> yeah, that's just what you have to do. I like people that can just do this like offhand are very impressive. Um, we were asked to do this in like, uh, I think it was junior year of high school like write haikus and there are some people who could just do it like naturally and i was like you are gifted um but that for was sure not that's not my gift that's <laughs> 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 uh, not my gift at all yeah i think if you're only good at talking in 17 syllable increments you're probably not a great podcaster you probably well, have to uh, talk for like tons of words what a roundabout way of complimenting me, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Jacob. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Um, but yeah, I, we're here to talk about one of the best episodes. Like, I am so excited. This is Tales of Bossing Say. Like, this is why you do an Avatar rewatch podcast. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, when I got on um, before we started recording, I was like, 
when you guys said that this was the one I was going to do, I was like, how did I get so lucky? Like, this is the best episode of Avatar ever. I have so much to say about it, like artistically and all of the different choices that they make, all the foreshadowing, all like mm-hmm. even the arrangements of the different vignettes. I like really want to get into and, and discuss with you guys because I, I really, I had forgotten that Momo's was last. And um, I I even think that that was such a strong artistic choice. Um, Yeah, I just, I can't wait to talk about it and get into all of it. Yeah. So, so how did you get into Avatar to begin with? What's your origin story? I watched when it was on live when I was like 10, you know, or I guess 12. I saw today it was 2007. But yeah, I watched it with my brothers. They were both super into it. I have an older and a younger brother. We're all two years apart. And my dad really liked it too. So we would all watch it together. And like a lot of our inside jokes were about Avatar. Like my little brother and I still sometimes will text each other just secret tunnel in capital letters. Um, (laughs) But yeah. favorite. (laughs) it's hilarious it's the funniest Uh, moment in any cartoon i think from my childhood um but yeah so we i i was really into it when i was young and then when it came back on netflix like i had always remembered that i loved it i've never watched legend of Korra. i think just because i i didn't want to spoil the sanctity of of Avatar and I was worried I wouldn't like Korra. And I mean, I've heard from everyone it's good, but I, I still have been like, I want to keep Avatar what it is. Um, but yes. And then when it came on Netflix, I was working uh, as a nanny for some kids and I wanted to show it to them and they were still like a little too young. They were like six. So they were sort of like, what is this? Not crazy into it. Like they were still into Ninjago. Oh, and I was like, Avatar might be a bit too complex for them. But um, then when I, we watched the first couple episodes together and then I, I finished it on Netflix. I rewatched the whole series last year. So <laughs> awesome. I rewatched it in like three days. Yeah, it's very bingeable. It's like hard mm-hmm. to watch it week by week because I'm just like, all right, I've watched this. Like I, I wanted to finish season two so bad yesterday. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to do this right. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I'm in the same boat as you, Jacob. I'm always fighting the urge not to watch like 10 episodes ahead because I want to do it right and like watch it week by week. But it's like, ah, it's so hard. It's so good. Now mm-hmm. we're in such a good part of the show, too. I just want to go watch Opus Lost Days, Lake Loud. I want to watch like all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like um, like we were like the perfect age when Avatar was like starting because like mm-hmm. you're right. Like if you try to show it to like a five year old, like there's not enough fighting for it to like mm-hmm. captivate every single time. And it's but, not basic enough, you know, yeah, like you yeah. need uh, some level of like basic storytelling for mm-hmm. really young kids to follow along. Like it's obviously very complex and artistic. And even like this episode, I think that most young, young kids would be like, what's happening here? Like why? Like, cause nothing really happens in this episode, but everything happens in this episode, yep. you know? So it's, it's very, I, I really love how they sort of play with form with the storytelling in general. And for a really young kid, I think to sit through <laughs> something like that, it's like, wait, <laughs> I, I want to watch Aang and the crew fight a bad guy. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is great too. Like whenever that of happens, course. I'm like, go get it. But yeah. those season finales, each one of them really better than the next, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then what, what type of bender would you be if you were a bender? A water bender for sure. Okay. I mean, I'm not to like 
I don't know how much people believe in astrology. I'm sort of back and forth, uh, but my, every single placement in my chart is water. <laughs> I would be a water better for sure. I also really identify with Katara. I know it, it's like so funny because I, I feel like as adults, a lot of men especially are like Katara sucks. Like Katara is rude and Katara is bossy and people don't like Katara, but I am Katara. So I, whenever I hear that like uh, discourse, I'm always like, wow, everybody needs to stop hating on her. I feel like yeah. me, Jacob and I have had the opposite where we've come to appreciate Katara more on our rewatch, especially season one, I think is really good to Katara showcase, especially like her fight with Paku, I thought was amazing. One mm-hmm. of the best fights of the series. So I've come to become a bigger Katara fan, actually. Honestly, I'm Thank a little, you. I was a little lower on Saga, actually. Yeah. <laughs> after our season, after rewatching season one, I came out a little less on Saga and a little higher on Katara. Than well, I it would, it would make sense. Movies. It would make sense that like, as young people, like between the ages of like 11 and 15, you would like the funny, goofy, lighthearted guy. And then like as adults, you're like, oh, no, well, the sister is the one who Katara holds it all together. She's the only reason that anything happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. There are so many times where it's like without Katara, they're just done. Like, yeah. Are, like, yeah. yeah. No more Aang. <laughs> like in the Bye. desert a couple of weeks ago, if Katara doesn't lead them out of there with like moody, sad Aang, then they're just yep. dead. So. They're dead. Hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the kind of reflection that you come here for. You know, we (laughs) we don't just love the soccer stuff uh, because that's what we thought of when, or that's what we liked when we were kids. But oh, I still love soccer, though. I mean, I just love them all so much. They felt like my friends, you know, growing up. If anything, I felt less least connected to Aang, just because like a kid from the Midwest was like, not going to really understand meditating and like being whole and one with the earth. I was like, what's happening here? Like, I, I identify with Saka, like yelling boomerang before he throws it. You know? like, <laughs> it's a simple pleasures. It's not the like uh, esoteric uh, things. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, uh enlightenment what is that you know <laughs> yeah um yeah well uh, i'm i'm super excited to get into it i think we should jump right into this um so it, this episode's pretty cool it has like different uh vignettes of different stories so we're going to start off with the tale of toff and katara um this one's fun like this is a pair we don't really see that often Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like in season three, there's even a joke where Katara or like Katara goes on adventures with, with each member of the gang and Toph's like, Oh, are you going to go on an adventure with me? And she kind of does here. So that's nice. Like that they have mm-hmm. this sort of, uh, adventure they get to go on together. Yeah. I, I really love that. Um, all of these different vignettes, just from a storytelling perspective, I love that all of these different vignettes are very, um, independent of one another. Like, uh, the Aang story, you don't see any of the other people. Saka's story, you don't see anyone else. And I love that they decided to put together Katara and Toph for this. That mm-hmm. um, their story, you know, up to this point has been obviously very rocky. And it's like, this is what... Because obviously these little vignettes are sort of what everybody needs at this point in their journey uh, that they're that they're on. And um, I think that it's really lovely that we get to see Katara and Toph really sort of their relationship blossoming and um, watching them sort of give one another what they need. You know, like Toph bends a little bit to what Katara wants to do. And Katara really sort of helps Toph regain confidence through all of this. And I think it's lovely. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really sweet because like they've been at each other's throats. I think that they're like so naturally opposed and like their personalities like tough, so laid back. Like she's like used to having things taken care of her and Katara is like always had to be the one to do things. And so like to have them come together and have this moment is really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the juxtaposition between these two characters is really beautiful, especially in this little vignette right here. Yeah, um, but it starts off pretty funny. They're all like getting ready for the day, and you know, Ang shaving his head, Sokka's shaving his little mustache. I would, I would love to see like full mustache Sokka, like twenty twenty one. Like he's grown the whole thing out. He's like drinking some like obscure beer. Like, I, I think, I think that would fit with his I mean, man bun. I you just want hipster I, Sokka? Oh, <laughs> yep. I don't want that. I think that that's the best that is mustache is ever going to get you know i mean i don't i never watched cora i'm sure that he has a full beautiful beard there but like i i think that what you saw those like four little dots on the top of his uh, lip is what he would look like at the bar in i think that that's what we're working with here yeah I think that's all i got yeah all right so maybe he's maybe he's good to to cut it off there yeah but then like <laughs> predictably we see Toph. Toph's just like a complete mess. And so Katara says they're going to go to Fancy Lady Day Spa. Is that like, is that just a terrible name for a spa? It just sounds, I don't know. It sounds so fake. Like I would not trust an establishment called Fancy Lady Lady Day. It doesn't sound like a legitimate business. It sounds like a money laundering front. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) And maybe that's just what spas are called, but like, I, I don't know. I it think it was the fun. writers trying to be as uh, clear cut as possible about what is happening. <laughs> that Katara <laughs> is dragging Toph to a place called Lady Day Spa. <laughs> yes. yes. That's fair. And, and I'm sure this is what the upper ring one is called. Like, I'm sure in the lower ring of Bossing Say, it's called like Dirty Lady Day. And it's like, <laughs> no one's going. It's like, oh. nah, not worth it. Oh. Um, yeah, but then when they when when they get to the spa, they it's pretty funny because like you know everyone's trying to take it seriously, and and Toph's just kind of joking around. Um, like at first she says like "Don't touch my feet," uh, and then I guess they force her to have a foot massage, which like really must be bad because she walks around on those feet all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the mud bath, she's making like weird snail or alien faces. She's mm-hmm. having a blast. This is how you ought to have a spa day. Well- what I really loved about this is that she was having a blast, but Katara was laughing along with her. Like she was mm-hmm. being a complete goof and Katara wasn't like, Tosh, like be polite. Like I would have usually expected. Like she was just laughing along with her. They were just messing around, really sort of taking the time to be together. Katara, like, th- like I said, they were each really giving a little to one another, which I loved to see. See, yeah. Maggie. Maggie is such amazing analysis here. Whereas one of my <laughs> only, one of my only notes is like, remember when she's getting her feet rubbed, and then she like earth bends that poor lady out of the building. I, what I was thinking is like that lady must have been concussed, right? Must have some, something must have got like <laughs> she got earth bent pretty far, and I assume she's a non bender just from yeah. touching toss feet. <laughs> So yeah. exactly. you're, you're worried if she has to go on like the spa DL. You're like, is she yeah, injured? Exactly. Like, does the she need like, injury reserve? She needs yeah. like, a couple of weeks off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think Maggie, you make a great point that it's like Katara's inaction that uh, mm-hmm. like has her character go along. Mm-hmm. I did not notice this, but you're totally right. Like, usually she would be the one to speak up, and because it's inaction, I didn't like register it as exceptional. But you're totally right. Like, usually, I guess she would say like, "Hey, like, be respectful. Don't do that." Um, mm-hmm. So it is nice to see her lay back. Do either of you like going to the spa? Is that is that something that you like? To oh do? yeah, 
Oh yeah. I, if I, I, had, I Oh, continue. oh, go ahead, Zach. No, I was going to say if I had money, I would go more often. But I, I, I like it. I like getting a mani pedi and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If I was a cajillionaire, I would be there every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. If I was married to Jeff Bezos, I would live at the spot. <laughs> perfect uh yeah i i like a spot too i i feel like it is hyped up a lot and it is really nice but then like you get there and it's just like i don't know it was a lot of sitting which i guess is relaxing but i always thought that it'd be more active before i like ever went but a manny petty's just like sitting there for a long time active and wait wait hold on you need to explain this like active in what way i just assume there would be like more things happening like because whenever you like see a spa on like TV or film or whatever, it's just like you're not like seeing the people that are like working on your feet or hands. Mm-hmm. Like you're usually like with the characters mm-hmm. and like they just kind of like sit there and they're like doing something. I just assume that it would be more um, like I assume that it'd be more like this where like you have to have three people constraining you, one person like scrubbing down your oh, feet. Yeah, that, that, that's what I thought it would be. I guess that's like all of the early 2000s, like TV and films. They're all like, anytime you see a spa, they're like, have a mud mask on and cucumbers over their eyes, which I have never, ever done anything like that. So I don't know what spas these people were going to, but <laughs> yeah, they're not mine. Um, yeah. I also think it's funny when like Toph is getting her like feet. It's also the way that she sees. So in some ways her getting a foot massage is kind of like LASIK surgery. Like she's able to see better. <laughs> I thought that was very funny that like it's like effectively her glasses. Um, I didn't even I did think about think that. that. Yeah, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> good observation, Jacob. Well, I'm not sure it's good or just odd, but I'll take <laughs> <laughs> um, we also oh. see that they go into the sauna, and when they're going in, uh, like they're able to earth and water bin together to like make mm-hmm. the steam, and that's just that's luxury right there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really sweet to watch them. Definitely. I I just thought that the whole sequence was really great. And I think, like you said, very sweet and not what we usually see from them. So it was a nice sort of growth moment for their relationship. Yeah. And yeah. that's not going to that's not going to be the last time they both use their bending powers in this vignette. Exactly. Yeah. So as they leave, like they're they're looking fly. They got some uh, like heavy makeup on. And as they're walking around, like Toph is like kind of opening up a bit. She's like finally excited. And then they meet these like awful people who just decide to just be rude for no reason. They chose violence. Um, and they're just like <laughs> saying like, your makeup is bad. And not, they're not even that clever. Like if they were funnier, it'd be like, okay, at least you're funny. But they're just like insulting her for no reason. And it's really unfortunate here um, that these like older earthbending ladies are just like making fun of literal children. Yeah, they're yeah. just complete a-holes, honestly. <laughs> and yeah. they get what they deserve, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So then they, they just decide to like open up uh, or Toph decides like open up the earth beneath them so that they like fall underneath because they're on this bridge. And it's like, oh, that's such poetic justice. And it comes so quickly. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and then Katara and washes them away. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So the way that she the, washed away, you know, Toph's insecurities afterwards. She ooh, pushed it down the river with her insecurities. Ooh, nice metaphor, Maggie. Look at that. We don't I got did get an, I did get an A in script analysis in college. So oh, just that, okay. <laughs> that that's great. Uh we should have you give us your thoughts more often because this is, <laughs> this is all great stuff. True. Um 
Yeah. And I, I think it's also really sweet here. Like Katara here has her moment where she's like really being sweet. And she says like, these people don't know what they're talking about. Um, she's like, you're so strong and confident and self-assured. And then she says like, I know this doesn't matter, but you're really pretty. And Toph really like smiles and it's a really sweet moment they have. Um, and then of course we get a Toph blind joke, which I thought was funny as well. Cause Toph's like, I would return the compliment, but I have no idea what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, I really love the way that, um, these female characters are written, um, because they leave space for them to be so multidimensional. And I love the fact that Katara, you know, instead of being like, you are so pretty, like, don't listen to them, like led with all of the other amazing characteristics about Toph, because I know as a woman, and I always like much more appreciate compliments that have to do with my character over my appearance. Um, and I love that it's like, that's where Katara went because she is a woman and she would know that that is what matters most to Toph, especially someone who's blind, who like literally can't see what she looks like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I thought this, this is like a very, very sweet moment here. Um, and then someone pointed out in the chat, um, in the like post show recaps discord, I forget who said this, but they were saying that like, um, like, so Toph can like tell when people are lying, she can like tell when people are tensing up. And so she knows that like Katara was telling her the truth when she said she was pretty, which wow. I like, it's, it's like very sweet to know that like, yeah, like, you know, Toph could never have known this, but to hear it is nice, but like, it is, it is true. Like the compliment she gives is so good. It's not centered around like, you know, Oh, like your eyes are so pretty or whatever. It's like mm -hmm. you're strong, confident, self-assured. And this is I another know. example of Avatar just doing a, a very intelligent job with the way they write female characters. Because in a lot of other, even animated sitcoms of this era, you don't get like touching moments like this with the female leads. It's usually focused on like the male action heroes, especially like a lot of the anime I was watching when I was younger the females did, didn't get nearly as much play as the uh, females in Avatar. So kudos to the writing team for writing up a scene like this. Yeah, and I know that sure. at first glance, like you could be like, uh, of course the girls go to the spa. But if you watch and, and really take in these characters and what it means to each of them, I think that they just did such a great job. And also like sometimes girls just want to go to the spa and that is not shameful that like females like to exhibit femininity and want to feel pretty. There's nothing shameful about that. These, these girls are completely badass and they also want to feel pretty. Those things can absolutely coexist. Yeah. yeah. They've been saving the world like weekly <laughs> on a weekly basis. They save the world through like incredible feats of power. Like they, they get a spa day. Like they, yeah. <laughs> they, they can, yeah. They can do it. Uh, yeah. But, but th this one was very sweet. The next one that we get to is just like, it, it is sweet. Uh, I don't want to like, uh, you know, say it's not. It's just so sad though. Like the tale of Iroh is like a tearjerker at best, if not like a full box of Kleenex as you're like just crying. Um, yeah, th this one gets me like every time. Um, like it starts with Iroh. He's going through a market. He's like buying a few things and we just get to hit Iroh being himself. Like he's just like a happy old man walking down the town and it's just so sweet to watch him interact with people. I, I just absolutely love this character. Yeah, I co-sign everything you just said. Just seeing Iroh, like, fixing the moonflower. Oh, the moonflower likes partial shade. And then you see it instantly bloom. Him interacting with the crying boy and singing leaves from the vine. Well, I think that the... 
I think the moonflower is such a beautiful metaphor for both him and Zuko at this point in the story that like they are in the shade, right? They're hidden from their real identity, like, and they're in the shade and they're thriving. They're able to like really live out um, and work through a lot of the traumas that they've both both faced in their life. And um, it's the idea that sometimes flowers don't need sun and they need partial shade to sort of rebirth a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's a great point. I, I think like here he's like able to understand he's so in tune with like both himself and other people around him that he like is able to see other people's needs. And that's just so special. Um, like that every time I see Iroh, it reminds me of my grandfather, honey, or that's what I call him. That's not his name. His, his uh-huh. he's not named honey, but it reminds me of honey who just like, he can see what people need. And I think that like, he can look at people, know what they're like, dealing with know what they're struggling with and know how to make them bloom and seeing this, like just seeing Iroh, like care for people, like go out of his way to fix uh, like the plant and like fix the, you know, or like make the child happy. Like he's just there to like make people happy. And this really reminds me of my grandfather. So I was like tearing up already at this point in the episode, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it was really sweet to see him just like know what is needed to be done. I also think that um, the the it's like so lovely the way that he uses the song to cheer up the young child when clearly the song is like a source of great pain for him mm-hmm. um, as he's singing it, you know, at the end of his vignette. Um, and I think that it's really just a great example of how you can help others with like the pain that you've been through, you know, and the traumas that you've experienced. Yeah. It's really surprising that he can sing that song without crying because like that song, it like the lyrics are just so emotional. And like, because like we know what happens with the son, like, yeah, for him to go and care for his child is, or that child is like very, um, yeah, just, it means a lot. I'm sure to that kid. And then he gets thanked by like his beard getting pulled, uh, which is just, I I forgot about that. They just, (laughs) he just pulls his beard. (laughs) <laughs> that's like that's the exact thing that a child does. They're like, oh, thanks, also, I'm happy now. And isn't that the metaphor for like Zuko? Right? He like spends his whole t- entire series like trying to help Prince Zuko, and then obviously we're not at season three yet. But you know, we get there, and yeah. there's just a yep. lot of I don't know. I feel like um, Iroh is the type of character that just gives um, completely unselfishly, and yes. um, I think that this whole vignette is. Uh, a beautiful example of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a beautiful showcase of Iroh expressing just like absolute gratitude to everything around him. And yeah, he's such a just beautiful individual. And that's why he's one of my favorite characters in the show. If not my favorite character, I always waffle between him, Toph and Azula. I never know who to put number one personally. Really? Those are the three. Yeah. Is that a weird (laughs) three? I don't know. Is that bad? Wow. They're very different. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, I don't think that those would be my three at all. <laughs> yeah, every, everyone's got a different three, but I mean, I think it's Katara, Sokka, and probably Iroh. But I, okay. I love May too. I think that she is so great. <laughs> You're speaking yeah, I, Jacob's language now. Oh, yeah. I, I I, mean, but like I said, I am like the Katara lover. I'm the Katara apologist. Like, I am. I am personally Katara, so mm-hmm. I think that uh, that's part of it for me. I mean, Katara's probably like top five for me, so I don't know. I got yeah. high up on Katara, too. What about you, Jacob? What's your top three? I don't know if we've talked about this. 
Um, I, I think Zuko has to be up there just because of like the character mm-hmm. arc. I think Azula is like one of the best villains. And then I think on this rewatch, it's it might be Katara actually. But really? I think like before I probably would have said it Iroh. Poor Aang. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Poor Aang. I love Aang. I do. But of course, he's not in anybody's top three. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not a good character. He's just like. Yeah, totally. He's just a baby. You know, yeah. a, baby a child. A literal child. Yeah. He's 11. It's, it's also <laughs> tough to relate to Aang to somebody who has like all the pressures of the world on their shoulders. I find like I never really relate to protagonists in a lot of these things myself. But Aang is an excellent protagonist. Yeah, he's also just so much better than me as a human that it's like hard to be like, <laughs> oh yeah, Aang is great because it's just like, like, Aang's said, just like yeah, but, yeah, like Makes I said before, better. enlightenment. Like I can't connect with his <laughs> journey to enlightenment. Like I, nope. <laughs> I'm not going to meditate. You know, yeah. But uh, when Sokka wants food, yeah, may, maybe you could be as good as mm-hmm. Aang, and yeah, it's just this it sounds hard. It sounds difficult. <laughs> um, after he sings to this boy, we get a funny like, uh, we get a nice like show of earthbending ball or earth ball. Um, mm-hmm. And then this is like very funny as, so they're like playing this game. It's like uh, kind of like soccer, but they use earth to like move the ball around a lot more, uh, which must mean that you have to don't like, you don't have to be in great shape to play. Um, but then like, as the ball's like going around, it like, s- it slings through the window and like breaks in through like some sort of shop. And at first I was like telling him like that, Oh, you need to like admit your mistakes but then this guy is like huge. I think he would make any of the like uh, like Pipsqueak or like any of the big people in the Boom Boom Man. Yeah, he's this like the Boom Boom Man size. <laughs> and he's like he's threatening these kids, and he says uh, like when I'm through with you, the window won't be the only thing that's broken. Uh, and Ira's like, all right, well, I guess we're running instead of admitting <laughs> our mistakes, <laughs> which is oh. which is hilarious. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize what you were saying with the earthbending ball. You don't need to be in shape to play it. That's great. Perfect game well, for me. I was just thinking, like <laughs> with soccer, you have to run around all the time. But like, if you're just earthbending, you can stand there. Like, you don't have to move at all. You earthbending just have to takes a lot out of you, though. Like, you have to be yeah. in shape to be a bender. Yeah, th- this is one thing that has confused me a bit. Is because like the earthbenders are always like built. Like they have like all the muscle groups that I don't know. But, like, the other types of benders, like, airbenders are small. Firebenders, like, some of them are strong. But, yeah, maybe you have to be strong to earthbend. Yeah, I mean, because I think it depends on the medium that you're moving, right? Like, air, obviously, it's heavy, but it's not, like, a rock, you know? But what about Toph? She's not physically strong, yet she's the most powerful earthbender of them all. She's also, like, 10. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, yeah. It, it like it doesn't make a ton of sense why like she can move so much rock. But I guess you have to be in shape, you know. I guess they're all athletes. I won't. I won't mess with the earth bending ball people too much. I apologize. Um, I also I could have sworn that the line, and this was like probably not good for a kids show. I could have sworn the line when they tear a hole through the window is the guy says, "When I'm through with you kids, like I'll tear you a new hole or something <laughs> like that." Like it was so vivid in my mind that when that wasn't the line, I was like, "Wait, what? Did I miss it?" But it was not. And then, um, pun for the reflection, that would not go for a kids show. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that would be in a kids show. It's also just a weird line to put in there. I don't know. I I would have bet like I don't know, uh, like five dollars on it or something. Um, like I was very sure about it. 
Um, anyway, what? we get to. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just about to look further on. Like, yeah, then this is when Ira runs into the mugger, correct? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. What, do you want to break down what happens here, Zach? Sure. Ira runs into this mugger, and then he created the mugger's like, yeah, give me all your money. And then he's got like this pigeon toed stance where it looks like, so he's got his feet pointed inward. And if it looks like a gentle breeze could knock this man <laughs> over. So he's already not, he's like the least intimidating mugger ever. Then Iroh sort of helps the mugger, explains to him that he's not going to be beating anyone up unless he has a strong base. And then Iroh fixes his stance and subdues him. In st- First, he subdues him instantly and then he fixes his stance and shows him how to correct it and then iroh says he doesn't look like the criminal type and then we cut to him and iroh sipping tea and talking about potential job prospects for this downtrodden fellow yeah i mean it's like the whole idea that when he says like you need a strong base he's not just talking about planting his feet you know, he yep. needs to figure out what's going on internally and emotionally. And I think that that's Iroh's specialty. But I also just wanted to point out that the mugger keeps calling Iroh old man, like over and over again. He's calling him old man. And I think that that's something in the series that happens a lot, that these people really underestimate Iroh and his abilities because of his age. And people are often like using old man as like a derogatory statement to him as though it's like super insulting. When in fact, um, with Iroh's age comes experience and wisdom, and that's what makes him so unbelievably powerful, you know, as the series goes on. Yeah, yeah. In season three, the guard always yells at him. He's like, oh, be quiet, old man. And Mm -hmm. like, Iroh really plays it up. Like, he acts crazy. Mm -hmm. He acts like he doesn't know what's going on. And like, he uses that persona. Like, he understands what people see in him. And he's able to flip those expectations. And that's how, like, he's able to use his experience, use his wisdom to know, like, oh, hey, now's the day to break out uh, in the Day of Black Sun episode. So I think you're totally right. Like, we definitely see this with uh, Uncle Iroh here. But, like, I I think that he might be the best life coach of all time, Um, like, here. Like, if he's, like, an old man with experience, I think, like, he should... Uh, he should like create an Instagram, like get people to pay him money. Like <laughs> Caitlin Herman better watch out. He's all over this. <laughs> True. I mean, Iroh could just have an Instagram of just like fitness tips because he gets pretty swollen season three. So I feel like that's always, you always see like old buff people going viral. So Iroh definitely will be thriving in the Instagram era of our time. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely true. Pat better watch out. He's coming for his fitness <laughs> That's true. Yeah. True. Um, and then I, I think it's sweet here. He like, I think this is something that he says to Toph earlier in the series when he's talking about uh, how like the, the mugger is saying that people don't believe in him. Uh, and Ira says like, Oh no, that, that can also be good. Like you have like so much that you can do. Like if you believe in yourself, like, you can do so much more than people are expecting. And I think this is sweet. Like he really does have good advice. Uh, Like last week we were talking about how he just like has such good pointed wisdom. Again, we see it here. It really is so sweet. Yeah. I mean, this is why I was the goat. He just comes in, (laughs) drops all these knowledge bombs on everybody. Yep. Yeah. Um, then, Then we see uncle Iroh. He goes up to a hill with a large tree uh, he starts setting things up. He gets like stuff from the basket out. Uh, and we see that this is Lutin's birthday. He's setting up a memorial for him. And this is the son that he lost um, whenever he was attacking Bossing Say. It's the reason why he left the war and he just quit uh, being the Dragon of the West and decided not to keep that path up. 
Um, and then he plays that same song. Um, and yeah, it tearfully this time. Yes. Uh, yeah. very tearfully. Uh, and the, uh, this segment ends with a dedication to Mako, who's the voice actor, uh, who also passed away. Uh, like I think passed away like near when this was airing, uh, or like a few months before oh, wow. it was airing. So he yeah. finishes, he finishes like most of the episodes in this season, but he passed away between production and the airing. Uh, and he died from cancer. So it is really... I had no idea. So the season three ac- voice actor for Iroh is different? Yeah, it's a it's a white guy named Greg Baldwin. Is the yeah. voice I had absolutely no idea. He no does problem. a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he does a really good job. He like He's he's basically doing like an impression of the real Iroh, mm-hmm. but it's uh, very well done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but it, it's it's very sad, like seeing both of these things come together, like Iroh's story, and then also knowing that like we lost such an incredibly talented actor. Like Iroh's voice acting is like part of what makes him so good is like he has that like jolly old man energy where you're just like you want to like him so much and you're drawn to listen to him. Um so yeah, this this one's very sad. Yeah, sad indeed. And then we get the lighter story. After that sad story, we get Aang going to the zoo. <laughs> That's the next story up on the I have a question for you guys. Why do you think they put Iroh's story before Zuko's story? Hmm. I think that if I had been arranging the episode, I would have flipped Iroh and Zuko's story. But also maybe then that would have been like two downers in a row at the end. But I think I would have wanted to put Zuko's story before Iroh's story, because I would have wanted the emotional impact. Like, it, I think it's odd that we see Iroh again later in the episode as a part of Zuko's story, because <laughs> I feel like this should have been his, you know, climax of the episode. No? No, I agree with you. I actually, oh, this is the f- first time I'm watching this in a while, and I thought the Iroh episode, the Iroh vignette was one of the later ones, but I didn't mm-hmm. realize it's the second on the docket, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I would have put it right before Zuko's, maybe. Like, yeah, right I, before. I, I kind of like that it comes early. Like, we see Iroh is trying to grow things. Like, he's trying to find ways to, like, improve the lives of others around him. Like, that's just his natural inclination. And so, for us to, like, see that story, understand, like, his loss and how he's constantly grieving. Like, like things that are in his daily life are reminding him that he's lost his son, Luten. And, like, seeing that translate to him, like wishing so much for Zuko, I think is sweet. The other way works well too. Um, but I think like we get a, we get kind of an uplifting moment with Zuko. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that's like better to go like an uplifting moment into the Momo one, <laughs> into the Momo one, as opposed yeah. to just having like, if it was, if it's like uh, for sure. Tale of Iroh and Tale of Momo, it's like, totally agree. It's like the biggest downer ever. And like 12 year olds are weeping. I just thought like, I think that I would have made sure that the Zuko one was earlier in the episode than the mm-hmm. Iroh one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that makes good sense. Yeah. Cause this really should be like, the moment for that, like the fire nation people that we know in bossing say, and then like we get Momo as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like maybe we could have had like, uh, Zuko and then like Iroh and then Sokka or something so that it doesn't just end like, yeah, <laughs> incredible, incredible downer. Um, 
But yeah, n- now we're getting to like just a silly one. Uh, the tale of Aang is essentially Zoo Tycoon. Um, did you ever play that game? <laughs> I've never played Zoo Tycoon, but that's a good oh, description man. of this. I know Zoo Tycoon. I played Roller Coaster Tycoon. I never played Zoo Tycoon. Yeah. Well, it's the exact same game, but with a different skin. I was so yeah. excited when I found out that. So I played Roller Coaster Tycoon first. And when I found out there was Zoo Tycoon, I was so excited. And then I like played it and I was like, this is just the same thing. <laughs> it's like, like the names are just different instead of like roller coaster, it's elephants. But yeah, essentially Aang is like uh, getting his start level one zoo tycoon. Um, so the, the episode's starting. Uh, he's like flying into bossing say he's going to a zoo trying to find Appa. And as he sees all of these animals, he's seeing all of them in like extremely small cages. Like they're not able to eat. Uh, yeah, I probably can't recap it too much further or the vegetarian in me will just get way too into it. Uh, but the animal rights here are just terrible. I mean, the PETA organization in Bossing Say is slacking. Um, but yeah, the, the zookeeper says to Aang that there's no way to have a zoo because the Dai Li's not funding it anymore because the kids don't care. And that's surprising. Like, I think the kids would love to go to a zoo, especially like the kids in the lower ring. I feel like they would like to go. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you, do either of you like going to the zoo? Are you zoo people? Um, I haven't been to a zoo in years. I don't mind the zoo. I love watching like nature documentaries because I like, I like seeing the animals free and in the, in their natural habitat myself personally. Cause then in a zoo, every time I go to a zoo, I just feel like they always have like elephants and stuff in such like enclosed spaces. So I don't know. I don't love the zoo. The zoo is a great educational tool, which is the reason why I feel more okay with it. I need to perhaps get more educated on zoos before I give a formal stance on uh, (laughs) how I feel about them. But um, yeah, I go go to the zoo like a decent amount. My parents got engaged at the zoo. So it's always like a very, like if we want to like do like a family, like sentimental moment, we'll go to the zoo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's actually, that's a good place to get engaged. It's like, there's people around, but like, mm-hmm. you can have like your own special moment, like wherever it is. Yeah. They went um, on their first date there. So they, yeah. uh, got engaged there. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess you have to pick your first date very carefully in case you have to get <laughs> engaged there. Like imagine, yeah, you could go on a first date to somewhere that like you would not want to go back. Or if you went to like one of those traveling circuses, then, like, you have to just go to the parking lot that it was. <laughs> oh, man, that's just a rule for getting engaged. You have to get engaged where your oh, first okay. date was. You know, I think that was just my dad. <laughs> okay, thank you for letting me know. I was like, sure. I was nervous. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so then um, they're going to the zoo. Like, Aang is like, okay, well, uh, I bet we could make a zoo. Um, uh, because, like, the keeper, like, wants to have it. Like, the zookeeper wants to have, the animal wants to have these... Uh, animals where they ought to be in wide open spaces and Aang's like let's do it which sounds great because normally when Aang takes on a problem it just gets done because he's the avatar and he's able to just like quickly do things but this is not so easy Uh, instead he ends up having animals just absolutely terrorize the city Uh, we see like hog monkeys destroying a shop we have uh, like these dragonfly things just like attacking people in the street this is chaos. The Rabaroos eating Cabbage Man's cabbages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's absolute pandemonium up in the streets. Well, okay. I actually have a question for you because I was going to say, 
I feel like Aang is like the king of biting off more than he can chew because he's able to be like, well, I'm Avatar. <laughs> but in fact, like he's been in an iceberg and doesn't really know how to do a lot of things and has like essentially no formal training. Um, and most of the reason that like things do get done quickly is because he usually has like a team of very skilled people around him helping him. Uh, but yeah. I, I feel like this was like a perfect example of Aang biting off more than he can chew and like having it sort of crash and burn at the beginning before he can find his footing and figure out what the hell he's doing. To his I'm credit, sorry, though, I swore. Are oh, we no, it's, to it's okay. No, okay. It's, it's, <laughs> I swear sorry, by everybody. accident, like every episode. So okay, it's okay. sorry, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, but to Aang's credit here, he, he's not usually the best problem solver, like usually a soccer for that or Katara, but he's able to actually wrangle all these animals, like the the big gust of wind that he takes in to blow into the whistle and draw all the animals towards him, I thought was pretty like quick thinking on his feet. So mm-hmm. I'll give Aang some credit here. His plan does work and he ends up corralling all the animals. Yeah, he's not usually the person that's coming up with the ideas. So I do think, like, if this was the tale of Aang and Sokka, Sokka would have said, like, great, we're going to make a zoo. This is how we're going to get all the animals there. And it would have been, like, quite boring because, like, Sokka, I think, would have just come up with the right plan. I think Katara would have been like, no, we're not doing this until, like, we know it's actually going to work. Like, we're not going to let animals loose. But because it's, like, the tale of Aang alone, yeah, he, he does probably bite off a little more than he can chew. I think, like... He he ultimately sets things right. Like, I don't think there's anyone mm-hmm. that he leaves um, not whole. Like, if he makes things worse, he usually makes them better. Um, so, like, I kind of trust that he's going to do it. But, yeah, he, he comes with this great idea to have the bison whistle um, to blow it. And we hear, uh, we see in, like, the next week's episode that Appa does hear this whistle. Like, Appa hears when he does this gigantic whistle that, like, Appa was nearby. Um but yeah, so then he he almost does too well at this because we see like uh, Bossing Zay is a big city, but as he blows the burst of air, it goes through like the whole town, and we'll see like later as the animals are in that like a bunch of random like domestic cats, domestic dogs are also chilling in the playpen, uh, which I thought was very funny as well. Um, yeah, we we also see his air scooter here, which is great, uh, the best mode of transportation, number one reason to be an airbender. <laughs> Love me some air scooter. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You know what's weird? That they just have normal cats and dogs. It's not like the portmanteau animals. You know what I mean? It's just like bear from last week. So they'd have bear, cats, and dogs. I guess they just have normal versions of every animal. And then, but they're like rare. Yeah. They they also look like they had some sort of like cat dog hybrid. Uh, it wasn't confirmed, like, but it does look like that's what they had. But it is always weird whenever they like lose the like yeah they have like rent random um like regular animals i did notice there are some great other animals in here like we see the rabaroo that you mentioned zach we also see a seal that has like a turtle shell yeah i thought that was like very cute um yeah but he leads this like gigantic group of animals down they're going towards the gate the zookeeper's like come on we got to open this thing and they're like no until they see a gigantic horde of animals um, going away, they open the gate, uh, and then they get into this like open area. Aang uses his earth bending on his air scooter to create a bunch of enclosures, and you're left with a pretty cool zoo. Uh, I, I'm a little surprised that earthbenders can't just like make these all the time. Like it didn't seem like that long, and he could just like like other people could have made these sort of enclosures. I guess it's like lack of care, not lack of uh, ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think it is more lack of care. You're right. Yeah. Well, we see these animals get the area they need. They have plenty of space. Uh, and including some of these cats, I have no idea how these like domestic animals are getting out of those play pins or the animal pins. I have no idea how that's I guess Aang must have to swoop down and collect them because who else can like have <laughs> battle that danger? Because there was like. Can he airbend them out? Maybe because yeah. there was like that baboon lion hybrid or whatever, like looking down at the poor little kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, he's got to save it. Yeah, I guess he could probably airbend it out. He could like probably just intimidate the animal, but I guess he's on firefighter duty. Uh, gonna be like saving cats from trees. I, he also caused it, so I guess it's not it's mm-hmm. not unreasonable. Um, next we get the tail of Sokka. This is like a, a real silly one. Um, this is like just right for Sokka's character mm-hmm. to know that he's a god of the haikus. Uh, and I think this was the shortest one, but this is the one that like. I guess everyone was asking us about. Everyone wanted haikus. Yeah, people wanted haikus out the wazoo. (laughs) I think it just, this is like the perfect encapsulation of like Saka's character at this moment because he's clearly extremely intelligent, extremely Mm -hmm. goofy, and extremely horny. And it's just all (laughs) thrown together for this great little vignette. (laughs) Oh. Yes, that that is his character exactly. Uh, I'm glad he steers away from the sexism. Like he often just gets into sketchy territory where you're like, "Come on, did he really have to say that?" Um, well, but he yeah, has like he, you know, I mean, he has like the exact traits of most people with toxic masculinity. Where like as a child, their father left and was like, "Take care of the family." Like he's had to be like the adult male figure in his family's life since he was like nine so you know i i do think that um like sakura goes on a beautiful journey in terms of of that whole um uh i don't know just relationship with him and katara because like Mm -hmm. they you know had to mimic like katara became the mother and sakura became the father when they were like literal babies (laughs) you know um so i think that uh you know, I, I understand and I think maybe give a bit more grace to Sokka in those moments because it's just like there's such a clear line that the writers and the showrunners have given us as to like why Sokka's behavior is the way it is. His behavior does improve, though, as the series goes mm-hmm. on. And For stuff. sure. And especially S- Suki is a character yeah. that really mm-hmm. helps Sokka in that regard, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so he's like walking along the street and he notices some women in a building. Uh, so he decides to like see what they're doing. Um, and he, he goes into the five, seven, five society, uh, where they're going to be reciting haikus. He's like just watching, uh, you know, like minding his own business until the ostrich horse was, which, which was in the alley decides to just give him a kick in the back. Uh, which like has like if we if we thought that the random spa worker was going on the DL like I think that Sokka's got to go on the injured reserves after getting kicked by a horse. True, um, I was surprised he doesn't have a broken tailbone or something like yeah. that. But he shakes it off. Uh, I guess he's got strong bones because um, he goes into the room and all of the people in the room, uh, like a bunch of ladies sitting around, just start laughing at him. Uh, and I think at first he accidentally makes a haiku. I believe that's how it, how it's like read. Is that what your impression was as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. 
So I guess he's just so talented. Uh, he's like a poet and he didn't even know it. He like creates a haiku where he's essentially just explaining how he got there. Uh, he says, I'm so sorry. Something struck me in the rear. I just wound up here and everyone's clapping. He loves it. Um, yeah. Then, then we get the explanation. Then we get a bit of a poetry slam uh, between the, the teacher and Sokka here. Any highlights from, from this uh, encounter? I liked what I like the paddle my canoe haiku where you just like slap in his keister. He's like, I, I call it easy. Like I paddle my canoe, I'll paddle yours too. And it was, Such uh, a showboater. True. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that had me chortling. So, yeah, he's he was good. He had a bit of a stage presence. I was very impressed. Of course, he yeah. does. We've yeah. been watching him. He has such a great like. In another life, he would have been a comedian. True. Would you watch his stand-up comedy? Like, if yes. he was in a bar in Brooklyn, you'd, you'd go? Totally. I'd totally go. I think he's very funny. I think he's, like, the type of funny I like, which is more goofy. hmm Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's certainly goofy. He also brings mm-hmm. props. I love that he, uh, one of his lines is, like, I'm right back at you. Like my... And then he, like, waits for it. He pulls his boomerang out, and he's like, boomerang! Mm-hmm. Great. I think that this, like, this, that scene formed my comedy for a long time. Uh, <laughs> like, as a child, I just, yeah, I thought it was so funny. Um, but yeah, then he adds an incidental syllable. He could have ended it, um, or he could have shortened it something, but instead, no, he said one too many syllables, uh, six in the last line. Everyone is upset. And I love how quickly the mood shifts. Like I've never been in a place that's like telling, like have comedy or anything like that where some people are just like instantly turned off. They're like, no, like you're out of here. And we get this guard who's like, nope, uh, you're kicked out. Zach is, is, uh, do you have an impression for us? I assume like this is like the pipsqueak uh, voice. I, uh, yeah. That's one too many syllables there, bub. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the way he talks. Exactly. Yeah. I, as soon as I heard this, I was like, I know people want to hear the haikus, but I want to hear Zach's impression of random guard. <laughs> Fair. There. Yeah, this is a, this is a, I wish Pipsqueak came to the city with Jed and them. So it's sadly, there's very few opportunities to bust that one out. Yeah, yeah, you're a big Pipsqueak fan. I feel like <laughs> I feel like this podcast is talking about Pipsqueak way more than we ought to. True, true. Yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll we'll continue on here. So is this the this is the story of Zuko now, right? Mm-hmm. I love this one. Yeah, this one's really good. So we yeah. start off, and Zuko's telling Iroh, they're working at the tea shop, and Zuko's like, that girl at the corner table knows we're Fire Nation. She's been here a bunch. Which is, like, such a weird assumption for Zuko to make. Like, well, I think it just, co- goes, it, it just uh, goes to show that, like, Zuko... <laughs> Is his mind is always on who is out to get him versus yes. like who is showing him kindness. Yes. Like that is just, you know, his trauma, his journey. Like that was his first thought is like, this girl is looking at me because she's out to get me. And how can I make sure that she doesn't get me before I get her? Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. And then luckily, Ira quickly corrects him and is like, seems to me she has quite a little crush on you. <laughs> yeah, I, Ira is able to spot it so quickly because it's got to be so obvious. But Zuko's like spent his whole life uh, either like a sheltered prince or on the run. Like he's never gotten to sit down and relax and just be in a place where 
normal people do normal things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then uh, Jen walks up and she's like immediately there. She's like, she's so smooth and she's like very persistent. And I feel like if she wasn't as like, as on top of things that she would just not be able to convince Zuko to go out with her. And it's so, gl- it's so great to see like Jen pull Zuko out of his shell a bit. Like this is, this is an ideal pairing. I absolutely am here for it. Yeah, Jin is so forthcoming, too. Rarely do you see a girl ask out a guy in a television show. I feel like that doesn't happen that often in mainstream media. But here, Jin, being the ever-so-confident person, is able to just ask out Zuko on the spot. It's funny. Iroh is like, yes, Zuko will go out on a date with you. <laughs> it's Iroh who gives the confirmation and not Zuko, which was kind of funny. I also like, okay, I disclaimer here. I love Zuko. I think he's such a beautiful, beautifully written character. I think that his journey is so amazing. I love him. Going on a date with Zuko sounds like a punishment worse than like, (laughs) you know, tar and feathering. Like I would have the most miserable time on this date. He gives one word answers. He literally like yells when somebody insinuates he's on a date with her. Um, Like I I just absolutely would be like, all right, I think I'm going to go home. Like, there's clearly some stuff here. You you need to figure that out. I'm going to go. But this girl is, like, unfazed. She's like, sure, I guess I'll let him yell at the staff and yell at me and, like, be clearly super uninterested in talking to me. Whatever. Like, you guys are, like, ideal pairing. I'm like, this poor girl needs to get out of there. What are you getting her on this date? I didn't say it's an ideal pairing, but I don't know. (laughs) I think from the Zuko side, this is as good as it gets. But, like, from, like, on Jin's perspective, like... He clearly lies to her. He's like very rude to the wait staff. Like all of these red flags. Like if someone's uh-huh. rude to the wait staff, it's like, mm-mm, nope, we we have problems here. But like she's just such a trooper. She's totally here for it. Um, cause yeah, he he is just giving like one word answers. And I guess like they didn't DTR, like maybe like they hadn't put labels on it yet, but like he yells at the waiter for just saying, like, yeah. with you and your girlfriend, or like, what? Uh, it's so bad. Uh, he goes the waiter, and then she kisses him, and he's like, "I have to go," and runs away. Like, what a terrible <laughs> end to the date for her. Poor girl. Yeah. She, like, put in, she put in all this time and effort, like, really was driving that convo on the date, and like, like, yeah. okay, look, I, I know it's so important for his growth. It's, it's beautiful. We'll talk about that side of it, but honestly, from Jen's perspective, terrible night. For her. Yeah. I would come this home is, and be like, what the hell? <laughs> this is definitely a terrible date. She goes home, she like dishes to all of her friends. She's like, listen to this horror story of a date. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this is definitely like, yeah, this is definitely gonna make her top worst dates. It's also funny because like when they first meet, he has like his fancy hair and he's like all buttoned up. And mm-hmm. she's like, she's trying to be nice about it and like mess with him a little bit. And he's just so mad. He's like, it took my uncle 10 minutes to do my hair. That's not even that long. Like, but 10 his, his hair looked horrible when I yeah. did his hair. That was like yeah. the worst haircut Zuko's ever had. Jin did him a favor by messing up his hair in my opinion. I also feel like Zuko is like the definition of like the like moody, like broody guy with a secret. 
who like a lot of girls are seemingly interested in, um, but then they're just sort of like mean to them. Um, and I feel like this is like the exact, like I just don't suffer that trope. Like if anyone is trying to act mysterious, I'm like, you clearly there's things you'd go to therapy, maybe, yes. you know, like, but like clearly Jen's into that type of guy. So I guess maybe she didn't leave being like, wow, maybe she was like, he's so mysterious, but I don't know. I would be like, yeah. enough. I, I think that at the end of the date, Jen should have been like, here's a reference to a therapist. I would love yeah. to hang out with you again once you <laughs> yes. have your issues. Uh, that's what I would have done, you know? Yeah. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Um, also, so this is like, this I thought was absurd is when Jen's like asking him like, oh, what did you do like in the circus? Because um, he's like lying. He said he was part of a traveling circus, which is why he was traveling so much. And he's like, oh, I juggled. She's like, great. I've always wanted to see people juggle. And then he like fails right on the spot. <laughs> like, this I'd be cracking up, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's such a red flag. Like, Jen ought to have, I hope she had a friend in the bar who was like watching to make sure that this was like not going to go south because that was just so bad. Um, but I love she's- the circus. Uh, oh, continue. I just want to say, I love the circus music that starts playing while Zuka, the dun, 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 yeah. dun, and him just like failing and falling on his head. I don't know. I love the slapstick <laughs> comedy. Especially because you don't really get too many comedic beats with Zuko, really. Yeah. This is yeah. one of the most few and far between you get throughout the whole series. Mm hmm. I think my favorite Zuko moment, this is like way ahead, but when he's like practicing to come up and he's yeah. like, hi. Like he's Zuko, practicing I was about to say that. That's my favorite one. <laughs> hi, Zuko here. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> that is the comedic moment that I'm here oh, for. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Defining a Zuko comedy right there. <laughs> so good. Oh man, what a great, what a great moment. Yeah, but this is this was also very funny, but it's just so awkward. Uh, yeah, have you have either of you had any like terrible first date stories like this? I hope none this bad, like for your sake. No, um, I would probably leave if it was obvious okay. that the guy was like just full on lying to me about everything. I would probably be like, maybe this isn't going to work out for us. But um, I, I also think like, okay, so now we talked about it from Jen's perspective. From yes. Zuko's perspective, this is a very, you know, a huge growth moment. He's an incredibly closed off person. He's been through so much. Obviously, like I said, you know, everybody's out to get him. And this girl, just little by little throughout the course of the evening, is showing him that, like, she only has good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Zuko, you know, gives a little bit of that back to her when her she wanted to show him how beautiful the lights are. And then they're out. And so he trusts her enough. You know, she's been able to build up his trust enough throughout the episode that he has her close her eyes and he shoots the fire. And I do think that that is really um, like a lovely moment for him. And, you know, she kisses him, which for him is obviously a bit too far given everything he's been through. But then at the end of the date, he still says that it was nice, which from Jen's perspective, I don't understand how Zuko could think that Jen had a nice time, but um, from Zuko's <laughs> perspective, it, it was really, I think a big moment for him to just be able to like enjoy himself, be a young guy on a date with a pretty girl and, you know, make her happy. I think that that uh, is really, you know, new territory for him. So, yeah, I have a question for you guys. So do you think he struggled with the kiss because he still has lingering feelings with May and stuff? I I think it's just like, I think it's just too much intimacy. Yeah. 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 And also like, Go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. He's just so like sheltered and closed off. Like he wants to have the control and know like, 
okay, this is like what I'm giving up. This is what I'm getting in return. Like so many of his interactions are that transactional where like he knows like, you know, I'm the prince. I like, I have this authority or like, at least that's what he tells himself. And like the other people are like, you know, on his ship or giving him things in return. Like even Iroh serving like at his like leisure. It, it seems like a lot of what he wants is this sort of like, uh, like I'm going to only give to you what I'm willing to give to you because I don't want to show that vulnerability. Cause like when he was vulnerable last time, he got a scar on his face. And I think that has scarred him in more ways than just his eye. Oh, wow. That's so totally. Nice. And I also think, I also think like for him, you know, it's like the idea that when your basic needs aren't being met, like how can you ever possibly think about, like going on a date with somebody or like being intimate with somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And for so long, like his basic needs literally weren't being met. He was, you know, banished. He, you know, was in pain, like he, all, all of that. But also I think now he's finally at a point where like he's stable enough where he can go on a date, but like it's slow and steady, you know, you dip your toe into the water and you can't do too much at once because he is really trying to work through, you know, everything that he's been through and, and get his life together a little bit. Yeah. No, you guys, man, you guys are on top of the game with your analysis, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Holy, that, that A should have been an A-plus, Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep up with Maggie's analysis here. Uh, yeah. uh, Do your podcasts usually go this long? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that makes me feel better. I was like, oh, my God, I'm talking way too much. No, no, no. Over no, an hour they, here. No, they usually go this long. Okay. Usually, right. usually one of us will just get distracted and we'll start talking about something totally off topic. Got we very good job. I think we've stayed on topic. Uh, I think we're crushing it this time. But yeah, th- this is this is yeah. There haven't been too many tangents about like crazy bus stories or anything. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> the bus story was funny, Zach. You liked it? No, I, I did. Like, I, I loved it. But like, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. This episode I, right now, we're not. We don't have any tangents like that. That's that is <laughs> that is fair. Um, yeah, I think that the the like trust that he gives to Jin is so sweet because he's been so paranoid ever since Iroh like heated his uh, tea to turn it from like colder water to hotter water. Like he's been so worried about being found out. Like even at the beginning of this vignette, he's just so scared. And to have that trust is really, really just so great to see that he was willing to give that. Um, and do something for someone else. Like this is what we see Iroh do all the time. Iroh does mm-hmm. go out of his way to make people happy. And the fact that we see Iroh um, like through Zuko right here, like this sort of giving back this sort of like, um, I guess, trust without anything in return is very sweet. Um, but then, uh, yeah, she, she goes for the kiss and I guess he's not there with it. Um, but then I, I think it's also so nice. So he goes back home. Uh, Iroh's like, how was your night? And then he like closes the door, slams it, and he opens up. He's like, it was nice. Like that that was a good moment. Uh yeah. I would love to have the tale of Jen and see it from her perspective though. That's also like the, you know, the sort of represents his inner struggle, right? Like he is trying to remain closed off. Like that's his first instinct is to go in and close the door, but then he opens the door a little bit to, you know, open up a little bit to his uncle, even if it was just it was nice. You know, mm-hmm. but um, he obviously is reverting back to what his first in- instinct is, what makes him feel safe. But the fact that he is allowing himself there there to be any sort of other option for himself is really lovely. 
Yeah, Zuko's yeah. growing here, and we're mm-hmm. going to see him continue to grow throughout the rest of season two and in the beginning of season three. We're going to see him grow and shed some of the trauma that's been mm-hmm. eaten at him for a while. Yeah, speaking of shedding, we get to the tale of Momo, uh, which mm-hmm. starts off with, um, yeah, Momo is like just remembering, um, I guess, like all of his times with Appa. Uh, He's and it's. Friend. Yeah, it, it, and it is like it's it's really sad because like obviously Aang is upset that he doesn't have Appa there, but like Momo and Appa like have this cute connection, like they're like little buddies. Mm-hmm. It's like the smallest little animal and the biggest animal, and they're like the best of friends, and it's just so sweet. Um, but then we see that yeah, this is like a dream uh, that Appa uh, that Momo is thinking of, and like Appa's obviously not there. Um, and and this is sad that we see like Momo in distress. Um, this whole vignette, like, there's, I think, no words at all. Uh, yeah, because the only words that we get are, like, weird gibberish, gibberish yeah. from, from mm-hmm. Momo's perspective. But this tells such a good story. Um, it's like a silent I mean, film, right? Yeah. The, yeah. I, and I love that they ended it there because the, you know, the scoring of it and the, you know, we have to watch just these movements that are done by these animals, too, you know? and But you get the whole journey of it as though it is a silent film or just like a movement piece you know Mm -hmm. it's really great yeah um yeah so so he like first goes um like momo goes to the like bag then he i think like sees some of this like white fur uh like Mm -hmm. lying so he tries to go like yeah and that's Mm -hmm. that's just so sweet like having that sensory memory of some something Mm -hmm. that you miss like to bring you back around his little he rests around his little wrist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's so sweet. Poor, poor Momo. Like, Momo does not get enough love. Um, yeah. We, we've been huge opposites, Zach. I think we got to. Uh, yeah, gotta true. Momo we got to give Momo some love. But no, this is a great little vignette because then he sees a tree in a cloud that looks similar to Appa in shape, but they're not Appa. And then you just see him forlorn, head down, looking all sad. And then he gets these buff looking cats. What are these? Like baby jaguars? Like Yeah, they what look the like heck? baby jaguars to me. Yeah, I didn't know. They want to eat him. Yeah, yeah, these these baby jaguars run up on Momo, but then he gets away and falls into a street act with th- some monkeys, which he then inadvertently joins and is somehow able to balance two monkeys just, on his head at one point. He just <laughs> feels it's Momo to me feels like such an extension of Aang. Yes. Like in a way, like Momo is like Aang's son. Yeah. You know, like if Appa is Aang's father, Momo is Aang's son. Like he just feel like I was like, this is exactly what Aang would be doing if he was here in this moment. It, it was such like a lovely little. Even they even use the same music sometimes. Yeah, they do Momo use it. They, they, do they, use, they use the same like. Yeah. Exactly. That that little horror music means it's just like going to be a great little like small gag. I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but I, and also Momo's very talented. Like picking up on the choreography immediately. Um, mm-hmm. Very impressive. Uh, very well trained animal. Yeah, I don't know if he was freestyling or knew the choreography, but kudos to him. He fit right in until the yeah. jaguars crashed the party. Yeah, yeah, and so then these uh these buff cats decide to keep chasing Momo. Um, like Momo is like trying to get away and one of them like gets onto him and then, uh, like more are grabbing onto Momo. And I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like Momo here, 
is like in real danger. Like I was very worried. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you would just like fall and crash and like hurt your wings, go on the injured reserve list again. Um, But instead like, uh, yeah, they're, they're all like on the ground. And then as they're like trying to get away, a gigantic net comes like one of those like gladiator type nets comes and wraps all four of them. And uh, they go, they go off. I guess this is like the animal control equivalent in Bossing Say. Yeah, but then they bring them to like a butcher shop. I was like, animal control does not bring these animals to a place where they're going to get murdered and eaten. Like, huh? Because I, I was like, oh, it's like the dog catcher, you know, from yeah. like Annie. That's where my brain goes. I'm like, oh, it's like the dog catcher coming to bring them to the pound. But like, hmm, no, I guess it's a, a butcher shop. What? Yeah. yeah, I guess in Bossing say the Dailies got some deals with the butcher shops and they just sent yeah. all the stray animals directly to the butcher man. And Momo is like legitimately not worth eating. Momo is like such a small animal. Like you're not mm-hmm. getting anything. Let let Momo go. Instead, like give him that dumb dog moment from Annie. Like let's hear, let's hear him just like go for it. Um, he yeah. also like so they have him in like the little thing, and I was like. He's got thumbs. Why? Because I had forgotten what happened. I was like, "He's got thumbs. Yeah. Why doesn't he just get get out?" And that is what he does once he realizes what's happening. <laughs> he uses his opposable thumb. Yep. Uh, Momo's like sitting in the cage for like a few seconds, and I love that. Like we see the the thing from Momo's perspective. We've seen this before. Whenever they were like sick uh, in season one in the storm, uh, like Sokka and Katara trying to speak to Momo. But I love the like just absolute gibberish because like we we definitely like think of animals as like, oh, yeah, they understand everything. But Momo just Mm -hmm. has no clue what's going on. Momo just Mm -hmm. hears like these weird, distorted looking things. Um, Yeah, yeah. I I love I love that, too. Just Momo's (laughs) lack of understanding the English language, just (laughs) just absolute nonsensical gibberish. Yeah. And then so then Momo obviously is able to get free because Momo's uh, like very clutch, removes the little like uh, latch or peg thing that's like holding the gate shut. And Mm -hmm. as it opens, uh, begins to run away. Then Momo, who's like has a choice to make. It's like one of those choices in a video game where it's like, do you choose a good path to get karma or do you choose the bad path? And Momo, you know, sweet little animal uh, reached enlightenment because uh, he's an airbender too spiritually decides Mm -hmm. to free the animals from the cage uh and as like the people are going they uh like as the people go back to see the different cages they're just like completely gone and momo and the panthers uh or what what do we say they were jaguars jaguars okay Maybe in my jaguars. notes here i have panther so the same thing same sure thing, honestly All right. it's anyway, very ang of him though you know to like these people who've been trying to murder him the whole time like the reason that they're there is because they were chasing him to kill him and eat him. He saves them from being eaten. You know, it's very Ang of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ang definitely would like go back and save the person that's like trying Asaka, to. As Saka screams, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and then these uh, these buff cats decide to pay Momo back, and like they lead Momo to a little um, a little patch where Appa has landed, and like Appa has a footprint in the ground, um, and we see like Momo laying in that little footprint made by Appa. Um, so we know Appa's close and I love how this like pushes for the story. Like we've gotten yeah. so many vignettes that are great for the character development, but mm-hmm. they don't necessarily like directly lead in, but here we have the story and it's through Which the animal that can't talk. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is definitely why it's last. It's through the whole silent vignette. I just think it's such creative and, um, you know, interesting storytelling. I really love it. Mm -hmm. And the episode kind of ends on a somber note with Momo lying down in Appa's footprint. Which is another thing we've been talking about, how the episodes don't always end happy. Sometimes they end on somber notes. Which is what I love about it. It's, you know, sophisticated storytelling greater than a children's television show. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's so funny because as a child, I would have said that every episode ended happy. Like, I did not pick up on this, but rewatching, I'm like, oh, no, that's bad. And then the next episode, I'm like, oh, no, that's bad, too. Yeah, have the episodes end with, like, the Fire Nation concocting some, like, huge plan of some sort. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, there you go. That is Tales of Bossing Say. All of the different vignettes here. Um, a, a really great episode. Like even talking about it, it just made me appreciate it so more, so much more. Maggie, you've come with so much great insight. Yeah, um, holy Maggie, you're you're like a genius. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I really love the show. I think it's wonderful, and um, there's so much to dissect from it. I didn't go online. Like I'm sure I could have gone onto Reddit and like really, really read deep into it. Uh, pe- what people think, cause people all over the internet are smarter than me and, and do this <laughs> in ways that I, like, you know, even like that ta fact that she can tell when people are lying. I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that. You know? Um, but I do think that the storytelling here is very sophisticated in a way that um, is very exciting to go back and rewatch from a, an adult perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and this is like one of the episodes that just like is so great. There's so much interesting things in the text. So it's great that we had you on this one so that you could really elevate uh, elevate that for us. Now is our time that we're going to give some episode rankings. Uh, I think this one might be pretty easy. Um, but just to give a brief recap, you can always write in avatar at postshowrecaps.com to give us your rankings. We rank every episode between zero and four cabbages. We'll take my score, Zach's score, and Maggie's score, plus the listener score, average them all up to get the official ing in their score. Uh, yeah, I, th- you know, th- this one's not hard. Zach, do you want to start us off? Yeah, this is a four. This is yeah. one of the best episodes in the whole series. It's a four out of four cabbages. Case closed. Nothing else needs to be said, pretty much. It's uh, every vignette hits differently. They're all amazing, well composed, put together so perfectly. Absolutely beautiful impeccable storytelling on all fronts. Yeah, this is definitely a four out of four episode. Maggie, do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's so different. Like they really took a risk with this one. Um, And it was a a swing and a home run in in my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. And I obviously, you know, you can't do this with every episode in the series because the series wouldn't go anywhere. But when you have had such an action packed first half of the season to have something like this, that really focuses on these characters and where we're going and where we're going to end up, I think was, um, you know, just really special. So yeah, four definitely. Yep. I'm, I'm right there. It's a four, like even some of these like alone, I think are fours, but together having the collection of all the people in bossing say we have like the different groups. We have obviously team avatar. We have like the fire nation folks, like these people all have their own stories and they all have their own lives. And we get to see like a slice of their life. That's not just like, what's the plot of the week? Like what's the thing that's going to push them forward this week where they all interact. Instead, we get the part where they're just living their life. Cause it's not always about this like sort of bigger plot. It's so beautiful. I love it. Four out of four. Um, 
I think it's impossible for listeners to give a four to four because like one person could give a lower score, but they're pretty close to 3.86, leaving the episode at a 3.97. Wow. Easily, easily the highest episode. Uh, I think this is taking its place where it ought to belong at the top. Wow. That's wild. That's <laughs> wild that that's the top episode. I'm not yeah. surprised though, to be honest. I, I, yeah. they're, they're it's maybe... above the the um, season one finale part two. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, I love high that marks. one. Yeah. Oh, I it, love that one. Yeah, that is definitely a good episode. But I think this one, like, it's just so different. And I think that, mm-hmm. like, because it's so different, people remember it in a very fond way, and like, it really does great on a rewatch. So mm-hmm. I think this is where I think where it, uh, where this belongs. So I'm very happy about this. Um, now we're going to get to listener feedback. Uh, Rudy had a funny comment. Rudy, our Nebraska fan from last week, Zach said, there are no fight scenes in Tales of Bossing Say, but how rocking is Zuko's lightning of the lamps precision fire bending? Uh, obviously, we're not going to rank this as a battle, but how uh, how badass was that? That was pretty badass. Him instantly, like, he's able to shoot it every single one with pinpoint accuracy. He's very in, talented. Like, 10 seconds. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a great feat of firebending for sure. Yeah, Maggie, the past few weeks we've been talking about an Avatar Olympics. I think we've found mm-hmm. our archer. I think we, uh, the UEN archers plus Zuko, I think we found uh, the face off for the gold medal. Can't wait to uh, see it. Yeah. Um, we had a few people ask us to rank the segments. John asked us to rank the segments. Shawnee from Block wrote in a hi- haiku, said, y'all sleeping on Sokka, but his haiku game is on... Or his, sorry, I messed it up. Let me try again. Let's rewind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not as, as good at this as Sokka is. Y'all sleep on Sokka, but his haiku game is clean. Was this the worst bit? Uh, which I think is a great way to ask if... Uh, no, I don't was, think so. No, I don't think it's the worst one. I think Aang's probably was the least uh, like compelling to me. I could have done without it. Obviously, it is important for the storytelling later on in the season. But yeah. um, I, I felt like Sokka's at least placed above Aang's, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I also think Aang's was the least compelling. I don't know. So you guys just want to rank them all right now? What what would your rankings be? I would um, do Iroh, Momo, Katara and Toph, Zuko, Sokka, uh, Aang. That's my definitive ranking. Hmm. I, I'm okay. I'm pretty close with that ranking. I think uh, the only thing I would switch, I think, would be the Toffin guitar and the Sokka, just because the Sokka. Well, I think it's only because I was a kid and I like laughed so hard at this. Um, but uh, yeah, for sentimental reasons, I'm gonna sure. go with Sokka. Is the second one is iconic. Like that's when you think back. You're like, I was like, oh, this is the one where Sokka does the thing with the girls. Like it is yeah. iconic in a way that the guitar and Toff one isn't. So I sure. <laughs> okay with that <laughs> zach do you do you uh yeah disagree with us anywhere no i think you guys i think i have the almost the exact same list as maggie's i got iroh momo then i'm gonna go zuko katara toff uh soccer Aang. that's my list yeah yeah and the ang one is is bad but like you really have to have or it's, no, not, it's, bad. Not, it's bad. not bad no, it's, just, it's, it's just not as good as the other ones in particular mm-hmm. like there's a there's some albums i like where i like every single song but then some mm-hmm. songs are like a little less than the standout songs on the album so for sure yeah that's that's very fair um 
Audrey here asked, uh, former guest Audrey asked, which is the saddest of the tales and why is it Momo's? If you had to rank Momo versus Iroh, which one would you say is sadder? Actually, John John asked, is Iroh memorializing his son, the saddest moment in cartoon history? So one of them, uh, one of them has to be wrong. You can decide. Yeah, I think, who was it that said, is the Momo, was that Audrey? Uh, yep. Yeah, Audrey, I don't know about that. I th- I think Iros <laughs> is still a little sadder, personally. Yeah. Just him crying tearfully over the son he lost at his, like, shrine that he put up, singing, like, sweet little soldier boy, come marching home. Like, that's too powerful, I think. So, for me, personally, that's more sadder than Momo's. But Momo's is also pretty sad. I mean, mourning the loss of his friend. So Yeah. Maggie, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, Iros is really sad <laughs> yeah I, I i'm trying i'm trying to think if there's anything that's like more heartbreaking in a cartoon i think when like pikachu leaves ash in pokemon like that that might be close but like this is really sad and the way they tell the story is so great um it's like it's almost like the beginning of up in that because it's so can uh because it's so contained um it's like quite mm-hmm. it's quite good at like telling the story like packs um, the emotional impact punch Yes, yes, for sure. Um, Yeah, we'll end it off with, uh, we had some people write in some haikus for us. Uh, I'm going to read them just quickly. Uh, Maggie, I wrote yours. Uh, I'm I'm sorry (laughs) if it's bad. Uh, (laughs) Okay, Maggie recaps feeds. She co-hosts with Kirsten 2, class of 2020 icon. Oh my gosh, I love that. Class of 2020 icon. Is that a haiku? I, I I think uh, class 20, of twenty twenty icon. Yeah, that's, that's, eight. Oh. <laughs> that's <right>. a lot. <laughs> class of twenty twenty icon. Yeah, that's. I think eight. when I say twenty, I say it as one syllable. Okay, class what? of twenty twenty. Like I'm not okay. I I'm <laughs> totally saying it wrong. <laughs> that's my bad, I, Maggie. I will fix it and I will I will get it back to you. All um, right. All what did right. you write for me? Did you write this? Oh, I I did not write it. Pat wrote this for you. Oh, okay. Pat. Yeah, I got I got a uh, patch right in. Uh, this is actually, I believe. Well, I don't know. I don't know how haikus work. I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at this. But he wrote "Cure to a Bad Day," restored by his soothing voice, the goat pod host Zach. Oh, I think oh, that's shucks. a haiku too. Oh shucks! Oh, uh, thank you, and Pat. then Felipe wrote one for me. He said, "Jacob likes to speak. He has all his baby teeth. His points are on fleek." Uh, <laughs> that would have yeah. been rhymed. There you go. Well, uh, there you go. That is our Tales of Bossing Say recap. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this thank was you for so having fun. Me. Yeah, it thank you great. so much, Maggie. You had so much on point analysis and stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. Thanks. I had a great time. Love the yeah. show. Um, where, where can people keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at MLMorgan underscore. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always keep up with us. Uh, you can write in avatar at postshowrecaps.com or tweet at us at postshowrecaps, uh, as well as you can leave us five stars. You can absolutely smash those five stars. Zach, what's the um, link for that? Ava- avatar and, uh, avatar slash postshowrecaps. Postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. Postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. That's the link. We'll, we'll get it eventually. We've done this. <laughs> yeah, like I times. always forget it on the spot. I haven't written That's that. all right. So, uh, Zach, where can people keep up with you? People can find me on Twitter at ZachMohammed32. Awesome. People can find me on Twitter at JK Redmond. 
Thank you so much. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Peace out. Bye, everyone. Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.